Welcome to the WBGO Journal. I'm Doug Doyle. Today, the MTA's congestion pricing plan moves into the public hearing stage. $15 pales in comparison to the cost of a truck with even one or two employees sitting in traffic for even a half hour. We'll have the second episode of our Inside Newark segment with Council President LaMonica McIver, where we'll talk about homelessness in the city and what Newark is doing during the holiday season. Newark Winter Village, which we're just super excited about. It's a time for you to come down with families. You can ice skate. You can rent some ice bumper cars, which is always fun. And we'll hear about the new immersive production of the Tony Award-winning play Lady Day at Emerson's Bar and Grill, now running at the Vanguard Theater in Montclair. The most different thing about this production is how absolutely immersive it is. All this coming up today on the WBGO Journal. The MTA board is giving a thumbs up for the congestion pricing proposal for Manhattan. The yes vote at Wednesday's board meeting paves the way for a series of public hearings and then a final vote on the matter next year. WBGO Scott Pringle has the latest. Many MTA board members applauded the $15 congestion toll, including Neil Zuckerman. Congestion pricing is necessary for plugging the gap of the building, the repairing, the fixing we must do. Samuel Chu is one of many MTA board members to say yes to putting a congestion toll for south of 60th Street. $15 pales in comparison to the cost of a truck with even one or two employees sitting in traffic for even a half hour. But board member Randolph Glucksman of the Hudson Valley thinks there should be a discount for drivers using the GWB. New capital program has nothing for Rockland County. There's no direct rail access from Rockland County to New York. Nassau County appointed board member David Mack thinks it'll have a negative impact on small businesses and those outside of Manhattan. $24 to go in and see your son or daughter or to go to see a show or to go to have dinner. I cannot vote for it. A Mayor Adams board appointee is backing the plan, but made her case to give yellow taxis an exemption because the industry has been badly hurting. Scott Pringle, WBGO News. Some New Yorkers are going to be getting rebates for tolls. The MTA will give toll rebates to Bronx residents on trips they have made across the Henry Hudson Bridge and to Queens residents on trips they make using the Cross Bay Bridge. Governor Kathy Hochul announced the rebate program for Bronx and Queens residents with EasyPass accounts. The program, which New Yorkers have to sign up for, will start in February. The rebates come from the Outer Borough Transportation account, which provides resources for Outer Borough transportation improvements. I'm joined on the WBGO Journal by Newark City Council President LaMonica McIver. It's the second segment of Inside Newark with the Council President. So, LaMonica, I have a couple of topics I'd like to go over with you today. One is, what is the city doing for the holiday season? And some ideas you have for addressing the homelessness problem in the city. Now, the mayor recently announced a major reduction in the city's unsheltered homelessness. Where do you see homelessness in Newark right now? So first of all, hey, Doug, shout out to everyone who is uh, tuned in and um, has been catching up and seeing 
um, inside Newark. It's my pleasure to be back on again. Um, so homelessness is definitely a very touchy, touchy topic, no matter what city you go to, um, but specifically urban cities that seem to be the uh, center for homelessness. Um, and on many occasions from state to state, and even in New Jersey, you look at a lot of the urban cities, we're the ones battling um, homelessness at, you know, drastic numbers all up and down uh, New Jersey. Um, but I think here in the city of Newark, we've been doing um, a lot to try to reduce homelessness. Many, many of our homeless folks that, you know, you know, Doug, they don't naturally come from Newark. Um, they're from all over. Many of them are from out of state. Many of them are being, you know, uh, sh uh, shipped, shall I say, or um, pushed out of their own uh, towns that do not have any resources whatsoever to cities like Newark that have many resources for our um, residents without addresses. So that's one of the issues, you know, I think that many of the urban centers like Newark or, or, or other cities, we're stuck with battling a problem that we're not getting assistance from neighboring towns or suburban towns um, to do more for residents without addresses or doing more to prevent homelessness, um, which has, you know, naturally been an issue. I think here in the city, seeing a drastic drop from 2022 to 2023, 60% reduction in our residents without addresses really speaks to some of the work that we've been doing. Um, as you know, over the last couple of years, we have built shelters. Um, we partner with people like Catholic Charities, um, United Community Corporation to help us run our day-to-day -day shelters. We opened a shelter in the South Ward, um, our Miller Street shelter, um, where we were able to house over um, 80 um, residents without addresses. We are in the process of opening up the new Hope Village 2, which is going to be on um, Elizabeth Avenue in the South Ward as well. And it's a container home, um, kind of module home model um, where we're able to house uh, probably over 30 residents um, without addresses at this location. About two summers ago, we were able to open up Hope Village 1, which is an essential ward on, on, on New Street where we have um, created home options through container homes. Um, it's something that has become very popular, not just with uh, residents without addresses. Some people um, within the United States, some cities are using container homes and module homes as a model to address some of their affordable housing and lack of housing options, um, uh, availability, shall I say, in their town. So this is something that's been wide range of studies in terms of you know reduced cost. It's not the same cost as your brick and mortar um, housing, um, you know, that costs you a lot of money to do, but at the same time costs renters a lot of money to rent or, you know, people a lot of money to buy. So a lot of towns are looking at different options to address um, the concerns. But one thing that I always say about homelessness, and I, and I really truly mean this from the bottom of my heart, Doug, it's not a municipality only issue. Right. And I think that many people look at homelessness, you know, you see a homeless person, you know, on the corner, you're like the city needs to do something like, yeah, we, we, we do need to do something. It is our job to do something immediately, but we cannot solve the problem all by ourselves. We need federal support. We need support from our state level, which we have have gotten support. That's one of one of the ways how we're getting support at the state level through a grant to be able to build our whole village too. Um, we, we were, uh, thanks to the late um, Lieutenant uh, Sheila Oliver, um, Lieutenant Governor Sheila Oliver, we were able to secure funds um, to be able to do our whole village too. But 
we, we need more. Cities need more, not just North. Many other municipalities, you know, need more funding to be able to house our residents without addresses. And even those that we don't know about, there's a many families that are homeless that are living in double up situations. They're, you know, bucking with, um, you know, roommating with friends and family and they don't have a place to stay that we might not even know about, you know, right? And they don't come, they're not, you know, coming to try to seek assistance, you know, they're not going telling folks that they're homeless, but there's so many families in that predicament because that's just how expensive housing is. And that is a national problem. Um, NPR put out a report not too long ago talking about how rent is skyrocket. Like, I mean, from different towns, rent is just out of control. Um, and it's ridiculous. And people's salaries aren't going up, like, you know, the, the national level. And that's something that, you know, voters are definitely going to, you know, be looking at as we go into a new presidential um, election, you know, and I think people on a local level have to understand that, that these issues are trickling down, right? They're just not at your local city hall. These are at your state house. These are issues at your at the federal level. These are issues that's coming from the White House that these things need to be addressed and municipalities need assistance. But I'm very proud of the work that we've done underneath the leadership of our mayor, this council, um, to try to reduce. But at the same time, all of the work that we're doing here does attract many, many folks to come here and say, hey, I'm going to go to Newark because, you know, it seems that there's some assistance there um, and they're helping folks. And, you you know, I, I'm coming to get help because people are, you know, they're, when you need help, you're willing to go anywhere sometimes to get it, you know, and at the end of the day, our numbers are decreasing, but at the same time, we're definitely adding um, to folks who need assistance out there and Newark is definitely a true model um, to some of the things that we're doing here. How about individual help? Can people volunteer to help out with trying to, you know, to, to work with the, the shelters and things like that. How about uh, people that maybe just want to do it on their own and, and say, you know, I have some extra time and, and I see these people who need help. What can I do? Absolutely. We have so many amazing organizations out here that are helping us that I'm sure can use other, um, you know, use more help. I think that any individual out there who wants to help without with our residents, without addresses, they should definitely reach out to organizations like United Community Corporation. Um, you can find their information right online. Definitely reaching out to Catholic charities who have been in the business for a very long time. Um, that is another organization. Um, we currently uh, use Newark Bridges as well in the city. They're right here on uh, Halsey Street here in the Central Ward. They can be found online as well. And they work as our outreach uh, coordinators to kind of like help us like go and try to get uh, residents without addresses off of the street into a shelter, into a, you know, safer situation. So usually when we get calls in, you know, at the council level, um, at the mayor's office, or even to our police department, you know, you get a call, hey, it's a homeless person, they're they're on the street, it's cold, you know, need assistance. You know, usually we contact our homeless Cesar here as well as our North Bridges outreach community um coordinators to go out, try to talk to the individual, see what assistance they may need. You know, there's a lot of factors into it. You know, every case is case by case scenario. Sometimes there's a mental situation that occurs where you need to have resources from you know our mental partners, our mental health partners. Sometimes it's a, a physical health situation. So there's just it's different. It's a different case by case scenario. But that's the reason for our outreach workers that kind of help us determine what the needs are and kind of help us to, you know, help get that resident without an address off the street into a safe, um, you know, situation. So definitely, I would say, you know, 
folks don't have to go out there and create their own. You know, you don't have to go out there and create your own lane, your own organization. If you want to, definitely, by all means, feel free to. But we have some organizations here in the city that is that have already been doing the work for decades, um, and they can use more assistance. They can use um, folks jumping in to help. So definitely, you know, they should reach out to those organizations, you know, Google search them, find their information and, you know, join in, join in the, in the help here in the city. We also have a homeless task force um, and we have a homeless Cesar by the name of Louis Alario, um, who's doing a fantastic job. Um, and they can definitely call our office to get the, you know, contact for Louis's office and find out, you know, how they can, you know, get involved directly with the city as well. Is the season, and we always are thinking about people who are less fortunate, especially during these times. Some exciting things that are happening in the city of Newark during the holiday season. What would you like to highlight? Oh, my God. It is such a fantastic time. I, first of all, I can't believe, Doug, that we're in December. That's number one. That's very hard to believe. It was just November 1st, and me and you were talking about elections, remember? And then, like, automatically, here comes December, just smacking us in the face. Thanksgiving just, like skipped us by and here we are in December already but it's always the joyous time it's a time to celebrate a time to rejoice and it's such a great kickoff here in the city of Newark um, with our holiday season Newark Winter Village is open and oh my god it is beautiful it is our premier um, activity here in the city if you haven't seen it you definitely need to check it out I know that you know News 12 and many other um, news outlets were we're covering North this weekend and the North Winter Village, which we're just super excited about. It's a time for you to come down with family. You can ice skate. You can rent some ice bumper cars, which is always fun. We have some cool ice globes where you can go in, get warm, enjoy amazing food vendors and food trucks who are there. Also do a little shopping. We have some small business vendors that are out there as well. But it's such a great time. It's lit up so beautiful. The tree is pretty down there. And it's right across the street from Prudential Center. So definitely if someone wants to check it out, you can find them on northwintervillage.com. Definitely all of the information is there, but it's open until January, um, until about the middle of January. So you have all month to celebrate and enjoy North Winter Village. We just lit the tree on Saturday, this past Saturday, um, at Prudential Plaza. Many people are like, where Prudential Plaza at? Well, the old PSCG Plaza is now named Prudential Plaza. They named it a couple of years ago, renamed it, and we just lit a 30-foot tree there. It was amazing. We had activities um, out there for the kids, bumper cars, pictures with Santa. It, it was just super amazing. The tree is lit. It's so if you want to go down and check it out with your family, you can do that at Prudential Plaza, which is right across the street from PSEMG and Starbucks, if you're looking for it. And definitely to the Central Ward, um, we had our annual tree lighting as well last week where we lit it at Springfield Avenue and 16th Avenue in between both. And it was beautiful pictures with Santa, hot cocoa. First of all, I just want to shout out to, to Salvation Army. They do the best hot cocoa in the city. It's delicious. Doug, in today's times, there are so many things that are negatively happening in the world, right? You cut on the news and you think you're going crazy, you know, from war to, you know, war in different countries to just bad things happening all over. And it's just, it's it's really depressing. It can get the best of you um, and your family, I'm sure, to, to be able to battle, um, you know, that type of news every day. And even people who are dealing with things personally. But I just really pray that everyone, you know, is just taking in this time of the season to, you know, find as much 
happiness, joy, and peace that they can really find because we can really use it. All of us, everyone, you know, can really use it at a time like this. So hopefully everyone gets a chance to do that. And I know folks here in the city of Newark can do that for sure. So if you've watched the first two segments now of Inside Newark with Newark City Council President LaMonica McIver, you can feel and and experience the energy that she has. So I got to know what ha what happens at the holiday table at the McIver household. <laughs> well, we have a lot of fun. I actually host Christmas at my house. So I do most of the cooking, the prepping. Christmas has always been one of my favorite holidays because at the end of the day, like I said, it's the time for joy. It's the time for laughter and peace and just happiness with family. So I love hosting and we really have a day of jokes, opening up gifts. Food always makes us happy because I'm a foodie. So I love food. Um, so anytime you have a table of food, it's a good time for me. And, you know, definitely, you know, being able to catch that, that Christmas movie and play some games. And that's really it. Like, you know, I, I think, you know, having an enjoying time like that is just good. Right now, I'm battling between Elf on the Shelf, um, Doug. I don't know if you ever done it before, but I don't know why I signed up for that. I'm Every night, I'm trying to come up with a different idea where to put this Elf at. <laughs> but it is definitely a tasking um, thing to do. So shout out to all the parents who are mastering Elf on the Shelf. You are my <laughs> idol. I love you guys. <laughs> and please send me some tips over here. <laughs> so what's your favorite dish to make for Christmas? Oh, my favorite dish to make, I would say, is roast beef. I love to do a nice roast beef. I feel like, you know, you come out of Thanksgiving, everybody's talking about turkey. But now when you go into the Christmas holiday, it's like, what, what is everyone cooking? And my grandmother, she always likes to make roast roast beef for us um, on Christmas. So definitely for me, I like to try to copy that. It doesn't taste as good as hers for sure, but I'm, I'm, I'm getting better. But definitely that's one of my favorite dishes to make for Christmas. Well, first of all, we're enjoying this segment here on the WBGO Journal Inside Newark with City Council President LaMonica McIver. Happy holidays to you and yours. Thank you so much and happy holidays to you as well as Doug and to all of our listeners, all of our supporters um, of WBGO. We are thankful for your support because we wouldn't be able to be here without you. So thank you so much to everyone and happy holidays. The latest production of the Tony Award-winning play Lady Day at Emerson's Bar and Grill runs through December 17th at the Vanguard Theater in Montclair. Joining us on the WBGO Journal to talk about the Tony Award-winning play written by Lainey Robertson is actress and singer Tracy Conyer-Lee, who plays Billy in the show. Great to see you, Tracy. Hi, how are you? I'm doing great, especially after seeing you perform. And also here is the director of this production and a familiar face to WBGO. She's been with us before. She's the founding artistic director of the Vanguard Theatre Company, actress and educator, Janice Freeman-Clark. Always great to spend time with you, Janice. Always great to be here, Doug. Thanks so much for having us. So I got to see this emotional play 
I have seen it before. This production was really, truly emotional and impactful. Tracy, this is your eighth production of Lady Day, working with Janice this time. What made this performance different and special for you? Um, they're, they're all slightly different um, because of the space, the director, the Jimmy Powers music director. And that is why I keep coming back to it uh, because it's an opportunity to discover the work in a new way. But I think the most, the most different thing about this production is how absolutely immersive it is. The audience and I are one. <laughs> That's what I'll say. It, it's it's the most intimate. It's the most intimate experience I've had doing the play. I, I did it once where there wasn't a, a separate stage level where where the audience was on the same floor level where I was in in tables, but I was still in my space and they they were in theirs close by but and in this one we are we are all together <laughs> in moments the setting is really incredible turn vanguard theater into uh, a nightclub you know in philadelphia and janice you, you have tables there people are able to eat prior to the show and really feel like they're a part and uh, why did you feel this setting was was special for the show Generally speaking, you know, we don't want audiences eating while we're watching a show, right? Because you hear all the sounds and things like that. And, and that takes us away from the story that's being told. But I thought it was really important to really set this in the bar and grill, right? So I wanted audiences to be able to eat before the show. So audiences come an hour before the show. The food is good. It's good. It's really, really good. Um, so they partake in this great meal and they're approaching the same bar that Billy then approaches during the show. And so um, it is very immersive. Billy spends time in the audience, sitting very close to them. And when we first started this process, Tracy made it very clear to me that, you know, immersive experiences were not necessarily her thing, <laughs> but she worked with me. <laughs> she worked with me. I love it now. It works really well. The audience really feels like they are there and that they are a part of the story. And, you know, I always say that a show is never complete um, until you have that last audience, well, the last cast member, which is the audience. Um, and so it's been really wonderful seeing how they have uh, responded to the piece. Billie Holiday's story is certainly a, a tragic one, Tracy. One of the questions I have is the fact that you have played this role many times. How close do you feel to Billie Holiday? My parents owned a jazz club when I was growing up. I, I, I've I always known of her, who she is. I feel like she knew I was going to take care of her story and just came and sat on my shoulder and, mm -hmm. and allowed me a little tiny piece of her vocally so that I could do the show. And then I, my first music director was this ridiculous incredible savant who helped me be a better singer and and helped me learn how to at least capture my version of her sound and so that's what i use I, my version of a billy holiday sound i feel like i owe her she 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 gave me what i needed when i needed it and um i i also just want to say like uh, tragic things happened to her 
tragic things happened to her, but I don't find her life or story tragic. She made the world love her. She gave the world gorgeous music. And that's what I, I want people to know the terrible things that happened to her, but I want them to remember that she did great things in her short 44 years. You hear her story in every song that she sings. You know, that's that's why she is special. And the setting is 1959 for this intimate Vanguard Theater transformation into this Philadelphia nightclub. When we think about how women had to go through, not just when we're talking about Black performers, but women performers in the late 1950s, Denise, these are pioneers who had to go through all kinds of hurdles just to get your foot physically in the door of some establishments, as we hear about in the play. But to be able to perform at such a high level, knowing all the stuff you have to go through is really amazing. I feel like through this story, I actually learned so much more about the Black female's journey during this period of time, which was completely different from the Black man who was also struggling, right? We were all struggling. But the Black female, as we learn, you know, in the story, didn't even have a place to use the restroom, even in the kitchen, in a corner. Um, so the struggle was real. Uh, there's a lot of stories about Billy and how she really was one of the boys, um, how she just kind of had this energy. She had like the mouth of a sailor. She, um, you know, could put it back, right, with alcohol in the same way that the, that the boys did. And, you know, even with um, how she explored uh, her drug use and addiction throughout the years. But I think so much of her being one of the boys and one of the fellas was a survival mechanism, right? That's how she survived in such a male dominant industry. Um, it's how she made her way, you know, usually the person that she was with, the person she was in a relationship with was someone who was involved with that band, was a musician in the band, was the pianist in the band, because it really helped her be able to make her way. Um, so yeah, I learned so much about that. And, you know, of course, all the female, female artists of that time, uh, Black artists in particular, really struggled um, in that regard. But uh, if you come to the show, you'll learn a lot more about Billy's particular struggles in that regard. Yeah, and you have to think about just how excellent she had to be in order to have Artie Shaw's band not going to certain places because she wasn't let in, right? She had yeah. to be that good that they wanted, they were behind her at that time. Darnell White is the musical director and also plays Jimmy Powers, Billy's piano player. He brought a special flavor, emotion, and humor to the show. Tracy, how was it working with Darnell? Oh, we became fast friends immediately. He's just such a sweet, wonderful, generous soul. And mm. I have really enjoyed exploring this play with him. And the, and the band itself, without a live band, it wouldn't have the, the same feel, obviously. But it, I mean, it's written into the play. But when you're performing live in front of a, an audience every night, 
I can see how, you know, I'm sure you, you go through the fact that your parents were having the jazz club and everything like that, that that all comes through Tracy as she's Billy. Yeah. And, and it comes through in a way that is specific to that night, mm -hmm. to that audience, to where Tracy is, where Tracy's Billy is in, in the moment of the show. It's all very, mm -hmm. uh, realized in time, in real time. Yeah, I will say that prior to, you know, my team knew that we had a very short period of time to put this show together because we were rehearsing during the holiday, during Thanksgiving and things like that. So it was a very fast process. And so my team, who's used to me having a little bit more time to put a show together, kept being like, well, you know, how is she? <laughs> How's she doing? Or what's going to happen? Like they were just nervous. Um, just, you know, for sheer hours, right, in the room. And I was like, first of all, she's fantastic. She's brilliant. I knew that bringing her into this project. We've worked together before. Um, but I also said, you know, she just needs an audience. That's it. This show without an audience really isn't the show, right? The audience is the, is the missing piece. And the moment there was an audience there, smooth sailing, smooth sailing. see my entire conversation with Tracy Lee Conyer and Janice Freeman Clark on the WBGO Facebook page. Thanks for listening to the WBGO Journal. I'm Doug Doyle. If you enjoy the news and public affairs programming you hear on your public radio station WBGO, please show your financial support right now. You can call us at 800-499-9246 or make a contribution from anywhere in the world online at WBGO.org. Join us next Saturday morning at 5.30 for another edition of the award-winning WBGO Journal. In the meantime, stay tuned to the world's greatest jazz and blues station, WBGO and WBGO.org.